From the San Luis Valley in southern Colorado, this is Solace Radio. I'll talk to you about the book of Revelation. And um, I want to talk to you next week about the book of Revelation. And um, this, this, is a, this is a book that is, that is so important and so vital. And people are deathly afraid of it. They just are. Somehow, I don't know who told them because I know God didn't. I know the Holy Spirit didn't. Somehow they were told that this is a book that you really can't understand. So just stay away from it. You know who told you that? Satan. Satan does not want you reading the book of Revelation. He does not want you to read the book of Revelation. Know this. It's the consummation of all things. He doesn't want you in it. So I want to dispel this lie. I want to do what I do usually and take these esoteric, complicated doctrinal topics and make them simple for you. Very simple. So if you're, if you're wondering, am I going to go line by line, precept by precept, and tell you everything there is in the book of Revelation? No, I'm definitely not going to do that, because that's not what God wants. Um, the book of Revelation, as far as I'm concerned, can be called the Grand Central Station of the Bible. Now, Grand Central Station is very near and dear to me, because I uh, went into that terminal every day for 10 years, and left for that terminal every day for 10 years. It's in the top three busiest terminals in the world. The other two being the Toronto Station and and Penn Station, which is also in New York City. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's on the National Register. Over 20 million people a year go to visit just the Grand Central Station. Magnificent. And it services uh, the New Haven Lines, Connecticut. It services the Bronx, where I was from, and where Bernadette's from. And it services Westchester County, Dutchess County. And um, it's, it's really amazing when you look at it. But the reason why I call the book of Revelation the Grand Central Station of the Bible because it's here that all the trains come in. And um, and back in the day, too bad, we were, maybe we were born at the wrong time, Burn. but back in the day, they had red carpet service at Grand Central Station before, you know, planes took over on people's travel and plans. And they would have people bringing in your suitcases, and they have beautiful restaurant cars, and everybody wore a coat and a tie just to get on the trains at Grand Central. Beautiful. but. Um, I call it the Grand Central Station of the Bible because, as I said, all the trains come in to, to Grand Central and all the trains come into the Bible. Now, what trains? Obviously, it's a, it's a metaphor. The trains of thought that begun in Genesis and all the following books, such as concepts of redemption, concepts of the nation of Israel, concepts of the Gentile nations, concepts of the bride of Messiah, concepts of Satan, the adversary of God's people, concepts of the Antichrist, concepts of the false prophet, and many, 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 many more subjects. They all end in Revelation. Even a casual reading, and I mean just 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 glossing over the book of Revelation, should cause a strong warning to unbelievers to repent. And it should be an encouragement to God's people to persevere. So for the people of God reading this book should encourage them, not make them fearful. When when I hear, I just spoke to a pastor yesterday and I said, when's the last time you preached on the book of Revelation? He said, well, I did a Wednesday night teaching on it for about 10 weeks. And I said, what was the feedback? And he said, people were scared. That's so sad to hear. Why? Why? I mean, forgive me for being so crude, but my analogy is usually awful. If If you're not having sex, why would you be afraid of getting an STD? If you're saved and redeemed by the blood of Messiah, why would this book scare you? It should encourage you, actually. Now. It should, though, cause unbelievers to go. And you don't have to go through that all, you see. So this is this is its purpose overall. And I think sometimes when it comes to the book of Revelation in the Bible, 
you got to get over all. You've got to, you, so many people miss the forest for the trees. Some people want to know what, 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 Rabbi, what, what do you think the 666 means? Well, first of all, nobody knows exactly what it means. Nobody with all the study. And this is, would be my question. If I explain to you what the 666 means, will you have more faith? Will you be more obedient to God? And the answer is always no. So why, why do you want to know? Knowledge puffs up. The 666, I mean, it's simple, guys. God is 777. The number for man is six. So, of course, the devil is, is in, in triplicate of that six. He always falls short, always falls short of the glory, always falls short of the glory. Not only does Revelation look forward to the future consummation of all things, of all things, and the eventual triumph of God and the Lamb, but it also ties up all the loose ends of the first 65 books of the Bible. I mean, before 90, nobody had this. Do you know how blessed we are to have the book of Revelation? The apocalypse, the end of all things, the consummation of all things, to know about the coming of Messiah, to know about the millennial reign, to know about the binding of the enemy, to know about the great white throne judgment, to know about the second resurrection, to know about the coming of the new Jerusalem and new heavens. It's priceless for the life of me. I don't know why you're listening to the enemy and not reading it. In fact, this is how the book can be best understood. The only way you can understand the book of Revelation is by understanding the Bible. And the reason is, is because the characters and the symbols and the events and the numbers and the colors and so forth are nearly all previously encountered in the Word of God. In other words, how do we know there's seven years of tribulation? Revelation doesn't tell us, but Daniel's 70 week and 927 and Daniel tells us. But if you don't know the book of Daniel, how are you going to know how many years of tribulation there is? So here, listen, 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 please, listen. So if all the characters and the symbols and the events and the numbers and colors, all the book of Revelation is somewhere else in the Bible, then the problem is not with people not understanding the book of Revelation. The problem is with people not understanding the Bible. And why don't they understand the Bible? I'm going to tell you why. And you know what? I don't even care if you get mad at me. You don't study it. You know what's amazing to me? This is what's amazing to me. Jews, Orthodox Jews, they study the Torah and the Talmud every day. This is the big problem in Israel. They don't, they don't, if, they, if they're studious and they're going for the rabbinate and they're in a yeshiva, they don't have to fight for the country. And the other Jewish people can't stand that because they feel like they're not being supportive, which in a lot of ways I totally agree with them emphatically. So they sit, they get paid by the government, subsidized, to sit in a yeshiva in a school and study Talmud seven, eight, nine hours a day. The Muslims, they read the Quran every day. The Latter-day Saints, they read the Book of Mormon every day. The Jehovah Witnesses, they read the New World Translation every day. So instead of following their suit, we just poke fun at them. Let's make fun of them, right? That's what Christians do because Christians operate in Christian arrogance. And they say, look at these fools knocking on doors. You should be knocking on doors. Jesus said, go into the whole world and preach the gospel. Look at these idiot Jews just studying, and they don't even have the truth. So that's amazing. You have the truth, but you don't read it. Ouch. Ouch is right. Read your Bible. You're blessed. There's people that have died for reading the Bible. There's people that have died for, they go into a house and they find the Bible in the house and they kill them. And yours is right there on the shelf. Right there. You don't have to go to a library, go through the Dewey Decimal System. You don't have to go to some shaman. Right there. Easy pickings. A simple key to understanding the book of Revelation is to realize that it's divided into three main parts. 
Real simple. Chapter 1 describes a vision in which John the Apostle, not not John the Baptist, John the Apostle, brother of James, son of Zebedee, saw a Messiah robed as a judge. He was robed. He wasn't the baby in the manger, not the Christmas version. He wasn't the one on the cross. No, not the man mangled. The judge. That's how he's coming back as a judge. Make no mistake. He sees him robed as a judge and standing in the midst of seven churches. Okay? That's chapter one. First, he had to get a revelation of the grandeur of God before he goes forward. Chapters two and three is the Messiah is Yeshua's edict letters to his seven congregations, which have a lot to do with the age that we live in now. The remaining 19 chapters have to do with future events. Chapters four through 19 describe the tribulation period with the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. And by the way, the seventh seal releases the trumpets. The seventh trumpet releases the bowls. And then chapters 20 to 22 deal with Messiah's second coming. He comes at the end of the tribulation. His kingdom on earth, the millennial reign, the judgment of the great white throne where he judges the unbeliever, and the eternal state. How simple is that? How simple is that? Well, Rabbi, you just made it simple. How did I make it simple? Well, you must have read it a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter 1 is a vision John got. 2 and 3 is letters to these seven churches. Chapter 4, we, we John sees the throne room of God. Chapter 5 talks about the little scroll that nobody can break, but there's one sitting as a lamb on the throne who can break the seal. And then chapter 6 starts the revelation, uh, starts the tribulation. Chapter 19, Yeshua returns. 20, 21, 22 is the eternal state. That's it. That sounds simple, isn't it? Because it is. Because it is. And by the way, you'll see a lot of sevens in the book of Revelation. Seven is a number in Hebrew reckoning, gematria, biblical numerology, not, not Diane Warwick and the psycho network friends, biblical numerology, and it means completion because this book is the consummation of all things. Now, there are people that are going to tell you there's 49 sevens. There's people that are going to tell you there's 55 sevens, 52 sevens. There's really seven sevens in the Bible. Seven seven. Completion, completion. Now, it is important that I interject here that not all believers interpret the book of Revelation in the manner I just outlined. Granted, some think that the book was entirely fulfilled in the early history of the body of Messiah. Okay? I would say that they definitely need some psychiatric help. Others teach that the Revelation presents a continuous picture of the church age. I would say that they need some help as well. That's why there are premillennialists, there are postmillennialists, and there are amillennialists. I'm not even going to get into that. It's real simple. There are seven years of tribulation, and at the end of those seven years, Yeshua comes. Okay? It's that simple. If you desire to understand the last days, and some people do, because obviously we're in them. I was telling, I don't know if it was my wife and a couple of kids, my opponent kids, but there's birth pain. Okay? I had uh, four children with burn. Um, three of them were, were, were uh, delivered naturally. Um, um, and, and there's a lot of birth pangs with a natural birth. It's not, it's not, you know, no epidural. You don't kick back and file your nails. It's intense. It's one of the most intense things I've ever seen in my life. I mean, and Bernadette is about as tough as anybody I know. And I'm telling you what, wow, wow. I'm telling you, there was one point where I, I, I just almost had to get out of the room because I thought, I don't know, it brought me back to the days when I was a kid and I saw the exorcist. You know what I mean? I mean, I was waiting for a head to spin and, Pea soup to come out of her mouth. But anyway, um, seriously, it was intense. But there's birth pains before you give birth. Right now, we're in the birth pain. 
I mean, the Bible talks about birth pains. And what does it mention? It mentions there'll be false religions, there'll be a lot of natural disasters, and there'll be wars. What, what do you read about today? I mean, the last 20 years, the last 30 years, tribal wars, wars between, there's tribal wars. The Kukui and the Luau, when I was in, when I was in uh, Kenya, there were tribal wars. There's tribal wars, there's uh, international wars, there's international wars, there's people, there's rumors of wars, and all we see is natural disasters. Has there always been natural disasters? Of course there have. But statistics show us that it's growing and growing and growing. There's places that are getting tornadoes that never got tornadoes before. I mean, it's incredible. And then, of course, false messiahs, false religions. Listen, I'm not talking about, like, people that peddle, like, uh, nonsense. Uh, I'm talking about Christians who are not preaching the gospel anymore. To me, that's a false religion. If you have a church that's really hip, and all they're telling you is how you can use God's word to make your life better, they're not preaching the gospel. And I don't care, I don't care if you're watching your that place. I'm telling you they're not preaching the gospel. And if you're the guy that's preaching that, call me and we'll talk. You're not preaching the gospel. You're, you are, you are a, a motivational speaker who's using God's word for your advantage. Period. End of story. Now, forgive me for that interjection, but if you do want to understand the last days, Matthew chapter 24 is a beautiful place to start. Matthew chapter 24 gives you an overall picture of the end days. It gives the overall picture without a doubt. Daniel will give you the timing, and then Revelation will give you the detail. Okay? There's a, there's a couple other prophecies like Zechariah, but seriously, if you take those three, if you take those three, Daniel will give you the timing, Revelation will give you the details, but Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, will absolutely give you. They asked Yeshua, what is the sign of you coming in the end of the age? And he gave them an answer. He didn't say it's not for you to know. He said it's not for you to know the day or the hour, but he told them they should know the season. When you see the fig tree bringing forth its leaves, seasonal, you should know. Guys, tis the season. And yet you read this and you go, oh, this is going to happen. Not to you. Rabbi, are you saying pre-tribulation rapture? I'm saying I'm not even talking about the rapture. I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? That whether I'm here or not, I'm saying that I trust God. That's what I'm saying. And I'm saying that you should say that too. The Bible doesn't talk much about rapture. There's a couple of obscure scriptures in the book of Thessalonica that speaks about it, but not in detail. I don't want to speak about it. I trust the Lord. I've already gone through some situations that are, that are, that that I think are kind of like a tribulation of sorts. You know, when 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 Corey Ten Boom, who wrote The Hiding Place, okay, a Dutch woman whose family got pulled into the concentration camps because they were hiding Jews. Because her father was a devout believer and knew that those who bless Israel will be blessed. Well, they went into the concentration camps. They suffered, her and her sister. Her family perished. And she came out. Of course, she had this incredible witness. Who could deny that? Hiding Jews and willing to go to the, go to the concentration camps and die for the sake of a bunch of Jews? Come on, this woman was a woman of faith. But she was a woman of the Bible. You would think she was doing something out of the ordinary. It's not out of the ordinary. If you're godly, you protect life. And when she went over to visit the Chinese church, the underground church, these people being persecuted, beaten, tortured, killed for their faith. Some American pastors were over there with her. And these American pastors were preaching the pre-tribulation rapture. They were preaching that, hey guys, don't worry. Before it gets rough, God's going to pull you out and take you to heaven. And as they're listening, and I know, I know some of these people because I preached an old Chinese church. I'm not trying to be a big shot, but they, they were, they were the product of the persecuted church. So I met them and talked to them in Orlando. I, I preached in their church. 
the, it was called the Orlando Chinese Church. Honest. I needed an interpreter. I mean, they only spoke Chinese. And so I was able to talk to them. Listen, they went to Corey Ten Boom and said, Corey, please, we really appreciate the American pastors coming and trying to help, but please tell them to stop preaching this pre-tribulation rapture because we're dying now. Now, I don't want to get into it because if you really want to push for a pre-tribulation rapture, you can pull some scriptures out. You can. If you want to push for a mid-tribulation rapture, you want to, this is what I'm saying, guys, because it doesn't say it blatantly. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. That no matter what you go through, he's with you. And trust him that he'll bring good out of whatever. Make it simple. Make it simple. In Matthew 24, and if you're home with a pencil, write this down, verses 4 to 28 of Matthew chapter 24 describes the 70th tribulation period. Matthew 24, verses 4 to 28, Yeshua gives a beautiful synopsis of the 70th tribulation period right before his glorious advent, his return. The first three and a half years, it's broken down. The seven years is broken down in two parts. Simple. First three and a half years is the part where many will be hoodwinked. The Antichrist will act like the Christ and hoodwink many. But in the middle, the abomination of desolation comes and we see his true colors. And that's called the great tribulation or the time of Jacob's great trouble because hell is going to break loose on the Jewish people. We have seven years. Okay. The first three and a half is spoken about in Matthew 24, 4 to 14. And the last three and a half years are spoken about in Matthew 24, 14 to 28. How easy can you make it? Oh my goodness. You mean tell me, Rabbi, in 24 verse of Matthew 24, I get a whole picture of the, of, of the tribulation? Yes. How come I never saw that? Because you don't read your Bible. You do drive-bys in your inbox. No weapon formed against Rosh Pasta. Ah! Hallelujah! Woo! I'm attack the world now. Now I'm going to do everything I want to do. Nonsense. I tell you nonsense. There is also a striking parallel between the events listed in Matthew 24, 4 through 14. Remember I told you the first three and a half years? And Revelation 6, 1 through 11. Revelation 6, 1 through 11 speaks about the first five seals. And it totally connects with Matthew 24. For instance, there's four horsemen. The rider on the white horse, false messiahs, false religion. We have a ton of that. The rider on the red horse, war. The rider on the black horse, famine. And the rider on the pale horse, pestilence and death. Some used to think, you know, a lot of, if you, if you talk to people, let's say 50 years ago, you know, with the advent of the antibiotics and penicillin and all this, you know what they used to think? That plagues were no longer a threat because of antibiotics and wonder drugs. Not thinking that today, are they? No, no. No, no. The great killer diseases were never conquered, guys. They were just dormant. They were just dormant. It's not like God's created them. They were always there. Do you remember in the wilderness when the vipers came out and the scorpions came out and they attacked the people and stung the people? They didn't drop from the sky. They were there. God was holding them back. Everything's there. Everything's in place. And now what's America saying? Even on Christian radio stations, we will combat this virus. We are brilliant minds. And we will defeat this. We, 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 we will defeat this. Oh, and we'll also pray to God. But the human spirit, what human spirit? What if it was the humans ever defeated? You can't save yourself. You can't deliver yourself. You can't come back to yourself. You can't resurrect yourself. Insanity. And these killer diseases can spread like wildfire. Like wildfire. And they're mutating and we can't catch up. We can't catch up to them. 
many of the conditions that, that characterize the first half of the tribulation have, have existed to the extent throughout human history. They've always been there, but they will appear to be greatly intensified during the period we're speaking about. They're just going to be like issues on steroids. They're just going to be more of the same. Now, let's take a look at the very first verse. How are we doing so far? You okay? Revelation 1.1. First chapter is 22 chapters, the first verse in the first chapter. It says, this is the revelation which God gave to Yeshua the Messiah so that he could show his servants what must happen very soon. He communicated it by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now, forgive me, but I heard for years Christians say, it's the revelation of John the diviner, right? Have you ever heard that? It's the revelation of St. John. The Bible say the revelation of St. The first verse says it's the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah, not St. John. Why is St. John getting the, the kudos? It's not his revelation. And he didn't even get it direct. Yeshua gave it to an angel and sent the angel to give it to John. And he says to show his servants, who his servants? That's you and me. How could you not read it? He's showing us what must happen. He's revealing some to us. It's amazing. The very first verse announces the subject of the book, mainly things that must take place shortly, shortly. The book of Revelation is primarily an unfolding of the future. This revelation of future events was given to Yeshua, then committed to his angel and made known to John. But the uniqueness of this last book is apparent in the very first word. Look at the word revelation. In the, in the Greek, where we get the word apocalypse, a disclosure of truth and instruction concerning things before unknown. So it was something that we didn't know. It was kind of hidden. And when you reveal it, you open it up and show. He's showing all of us what has to happen. And he's giving us instruction on what we need to do, how to prepare. You can't be that. How are you going to think you're going to prepare for the last days? Huh? Guns? You're an idiot. Listen to me. You're an idiot. Rabbi, you don't understand. I have 10,000 rounds. And what happens when the, when the 10,000 and one person comes? If China comes in my backyard, I'll be ready. China has 2 billion people. If China shows up in your backyard in, in, listen, I know some of you watching in Monroe County, they won. I'm going to build a bunker. You've been inside for three weeks. You're going to live in a bunker for seven years. You can't handle three weeks in your home and you have TV and you have food and you're able to go out to restaurants and you're able to sit on your back porch still complaining. That's not how you prepare. You prepare for the revelation and you prepare for the end days by having faith. That's how you prepare. God loves faith. You can't please him without it. This definition refers to prophetic visions of the future. And in these prophetic visions, yeah, visions, yes, there's a lot of symbolism. There's rich symbolism, like I told you. But those symbols are found elsewhere. Just like the olive tree. We know it's Israel. We know it's Israel. Now let's look at Revelation 1-3. Hang in there. Revelation 1-3 says, Blessed are the reader and hearers of the words of this prophecy. Provided, there's a caveat, provided they obey the things written in it, for the time is near. You see that? Blessed are the reader and hearers. Back in the day, they proclaimed, Ezra got on a high place and proclaimed to the children when they were back from the Babylonian captivity, the word of God. They proclaimed it publicly, just like we do. Basically, this is a public proclamation. We're inside, but it goes out. And they proclaim the word. In, in other words, God declared a blessing if you just heard the book of Revelation. Just hearing it, you'd be blessed. That's what he declared. But for some reason, unbeknownst to me, 
I see Christians shy away from the book of Revelation. They don't go near it. All they know is, well, yeah, there's, you know, there's a book, a lot of bad things are going to happen. I just hope that it doesn't happen to me. Always worried about me. Me, 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 me. I don't want anything bad to happen to me. You ever, you ever listen to your brain and how, how much you think about yourself? Oh, I love God. I just think about me all the time. Think, I mean, write down, spend the day with yourself and make a list and write down how many thoughts you have about yourself, the desires you're trying to do, the things you're trying to accomplish, and then on the other list, write about how many things you think about other people. You'll, you'll be amazed. It's pathetic. Just pathetic. But guys, it's obvious to me in this third verse that God's intention is that this book should be read in our congregations, right? He says there's a blessing. It should be read in our congregations, our fellowships, our churches, because God promised a special blessing to the one who reads it and to those in the assembly who hear it and take it to heart. Remember the Hebrew word Shema? Shema doesn't mean, okay, I'm listening. There's people that listen, they don't hear you. Are you listening to me? Yeah, I'm listening, but I don't hear you. I don't hear you. Because here, Shema means you're going to do what you hear. So God's saying, look, don't even listen. Don't even listen. I don't, I don't, we don't need to talk. If I'm wasting my breath, and that's how I feel. If I'm wasting my breath, what am I doing? It's sad. I'm out here crying out, begging people to stay close to God, begging you to persevere, trying to help you persevere, to endure to the end. He who endures to the end will be saved. I'm pushing you to endure, and you're bored. But if the big game is on, and I come over, you want to watch it. Or if you're getting together with friends for a dinner or a girls weekend. Oh, yeah, I'm all in, man. I'm pumped, stoked. Come on, man. Get out of here with that already. Get out of here with that. You're a devout Christian, right? Mm-hmm. Not only does the book of Revelation mention the reading of the book bestowing a blessing, but there are six other blessings in the book of Revelation. Yes, another seven. We don't necessarily look at those. We think Revelation is just judgment. But there's, there's not for us. It's blessing for the believer. It's blessing, guy. And that's what I want to bring out today. I want to show you these blessings. And then next week, I want to get into the return of Messiah, the book of life, and so on. The sevens that I see in the Bible is I see the seven messianic communities or the seven churches. I see the seven stars. I see the seven letters. I see the seven seals, the seven trumpets. I see the seven plagues and the seven bowls. That's what I see. The seven blessings isn't really considered one of the explicit sevens. But nevertheless, I think it should encourage you. Let's look at the second blessing. This is the first blessing, Revelation 1, 3. This is the second blessing. In Revelation, it should be 14.13, not 1.14.13. I don't know what book that is. sounds like the Quran, but it should be 14.13. Next, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, quote, How blessed are the dead who die united with the Lord. From now on, yes, says the Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit, which is as good as God speaking. Now they may rest from their efforts, for the things they have accomplished follow along with them. Now, I know that sometimes something, even a verse like that, is like confusing. What's so confusing? What's confusing about that? A voice from heaven said that if you die, united with the Lord, you're blessed. Forever. Forever. And the things that you do won't go unnoticed. There'll be a judgment seat of Messiah. will be rewarded. Simple, right? I mean, isn't that simple? It's simple as can be. Believers who die during the period of the tribulation, there will be. People will give their life to the Lord. One third of Israel will come through the fire. Yes, they will give their life to the Lord. It will be a massive evangelistic pull. They will not miss the blessings of the millennium kingdom. You already have them. If you're blood-bought, you have them. He's speaking to those during the tribulation, the tribulation saints. He's saying that even though you came in at the end, you still get all the benefits. Isn't that beautiful? You get all the benefits. 
So for you, you already have the benefits. What does man say? If you want to know what God says, just listen to man and do a 180. This is what man says. Man says, blessed are the living. I want to live. I want to live. Blessed are those who, who have the most toys and the most stuff. Dude, I, I had, I had friends that are multimillionaires that are billionaires. And I wouldn't even say they're even remotely happy like I am in the Lord. Not even close. Man says, blessed are the living. God says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. That's what he says. I'm going with God on this one. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. And their works will follow them. Meaning, listen to me. Listen to me careful because some of you had done a lot. And you're like, I just keep doing for people, Rabbi. And they never do for me. I keep doing for them and they never do for me. You might be married to a slug who just sits around and doesn't do for you. And you do for them and you do for them and you do for them. And you're like, when? Listen to me and listen to me good. Everything done for Messiah and in his name for others will be richly rewarded. Everything done for Messiah and in his name will be richly rewarded. Every kindness, every sacrificial gift, every prayer, every tear, every word of testimony, Yeshua will reward. Make no mistake. He keeps incredible records. The third blessing, Revelation 16, 15. It says, look, exclamation point. I am coming like a thief, is Yeshua speaking. How blessed are those, a blessing, blessed are those who stay alert and keep their clothes clean. And he's not talking in the natural. This is rich symbolism. So that they won't be walking naked, they won't be exposed to their unrighteousness. And be publicly put to shame, sadly enough, the second resurrection. It's at this point in Revelation where they mention the war of the great day of the Lord of hosts. This great war in the valley of Armageddon, where we get the word Armageddon. And the Lord then, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, interjects this blessing. Talks about this great war, and then he just goes, hey, there's going to be a special blessing on tribulation saints. Those who are watching for his return, this is what this is what a saint is. Those who are watching for his return, if you're not watching for his return, something's wrong with your walk. Something's wrong with your walk. Those who are watching for his return, those who kept themselves pure from the idolatrous worship of the day. Because he will come like a thief in the night. He will come when you don't expect him. And he's going to come to the unsaved as a thief, unexpectedly, and causing great loss. Not to the saved who are looking for him. They'll see him coming. Revelation 19.9, the fourth blessing. The angel said to me, write, how blessed are those who have been invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb? Hallelujah. Then he adds, these are God's very words. Okay. Here an angel instructs John to write a blessing for all those who are called to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And this is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. You can read this in Isaiah 25. If you keep in score, verses 6 through 8, you can read about the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's right there. These are believers who belong to his beloved bride. If you're blood-bought, that's you. The angel reinforces the importance of the blessing by insisting, hey, this isn't me speaking. These are God's words. This is God. He's letting you know this. You're blessed if you have an invitation. And guess what? This is the crazy thing. Guys, if you're watching, you're unsaved. Everybody's been invited. Everybody. Yeshua has extended an invitation to every single solitary person, even those in the Old Testament whose faith was credited to them as righteousness. And now in this time period, he has extended this invitation to everybody. All you got to do is RSVP. Rabbi, I've seen people go up and pray, and their life didn't change because they weren't saved. 
Don't blame it on the invitation. Don't blame it on the inviter. Blame it on the invitee. Because they thought they could just come up and say a prayer. No. No. You, you kneel before the cross. Look at the man on the cross. Look at the only begotten Son of God. Look at the only one whose father birthed him. Look at the God-man. Look at the one who in the beginning was the Word of God and who took on flesh to die for the sins of the world. Look at him. Look at his scars. Look at his, hear his pain. See his, see his pain, man, and his suffering on your part. And then look at him and say, you did all this for me, and I don't give a damn. If you could do that, that's pretty amazing. I don't know who could. Say you're sorry. Confess your sins. They're already known to God. Repent of them and tell him you want to change. Tell him you want to be a good guy. You want to do the right thing. And tell him you can't do it alone because nobody can. He will send the power of the Holy Spirit, another type of grace, to help you do it. I'm telling you. I promise you. He will. I'm not perfect, but there's things I used to do that I'm not doing that without the Holy Spirit, I would be doing. No question about it. No ifs, ands, or buts. Fifth blessing. Revelation 26. We're almost at the end. Blessed and holy is anyone who has a part in the first resurrection. Meaning when Yeshua comes, the dead and Messiah will rise. The second resurrection comes at the end of the millennial reign. You don't want to be part of that second re resurrection because every single one of those goes before God's great white throne. Their names are not written in the book of life. Sadly enough, they get cast in a lake of fire for all eternity. That's what happens at the end of those thousand years. And then, once everything's clean, the new heavens and the new earth are restored. So blessed are those who have a part in the first resurrection. Over him, the second death has no power. Better to be born twice and die once than be born once and die twice. On the contrary, they will be Kohanim. What? They will be priests of God and of the Messiah. And they will rule with him for a thousand years. Man, finally, you're going to realize who you are. You're part of God's royal priesthood, man. Those who participate in the first resurrection are blessed because they're not included in the second death, where, sadly enough, all unbelievers will be cast in the lake of fire. True believers shall be priests of God and shall reign with him for a thousand years. Hallelujah. Blessing 6, Revelation 22.7. Almost at the end. This is the last, the last book, last chapter, I mean. He says, look, Yeshua says, I'm coming very soon. A day is like a thousand years. Guy, look. You might say, when is it going to happen? Are you kidding me? Your 80 years on earth is a blip. Oh, if only she could have lived to be 85. Your 85 years is a blip. Well, I know somebody died at 105. Blip. Moses got a buck 20. Blip. It's a blip on an eternal scale. Your problem is you just don't believe it. You don't believe in eternity. So all you have is now, and that's what you're focused on. My condolences. My condolences. I would expect more from a believer. Look, I am coming very soon. Blessed, a blessing, is the person who obeys the words of the prophecy written in this book. How could you obey the prophecy if you don't know the prophecy? This is the climax or the high point of it all. Revelation 22. This is the glorious advent of the Savior. The new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Hallelujah. He assures us that he's coming very soon. And a special blessing is given to each one who keeps the words of the prophecy. We can do this. By maintaining our hope of his coming. Maintaining our hope of his coming. Believing it. No matter what you say. No matter what the circumstances say. No matter what the world says. No matter what CNN says. No matter what your goofy little social media things say. I could care less. He's coming soon. And I'm looking. Last blessing. Revelation 22.14. How blessed are those who wash their robes. This is the finale, man. So that they have the right. 
to eat from the tree of life. Remember the tree of life? It was in the beginning. That was the tree they were supposed to eat from. They were going to live forever in a perpetual state of glory. Look at that. God's so good. He brings it back. He brings it back. We're going to talk about this next week a lot. A lot about the tree of life. They will go through the gates of the city. This is the seventh and final blessing in the book of Revelation. Blessed are those who wash their robes. You know what that means? Blessed are those who wash their robes. It's another way of saying blessed are those who do his commandment. Blessed are those who wash their robes is another way of saying Judaically and Hebraically who do his commandment. If you don't do his commandments, then what kind of relationship do you have? Try that at a job. You work for a boss? Don't, don't listen to what he tells you to do. See how that works out. See, see what your bonus looks like. We are not saying, and I am not saying, hear me now, I am not saying salvation by works. And that's not the, what this is saying here. It also, when you read, he who endures to the end shall be saved, it doesn't mean you're going to save by your endurance. It means that endurance is a byproduct of being saved. If you're enduring, you're saved. If you're not enduring, you're not saved. Works are a byproduct. Your faith, your salvation produces the works. Your works evidence the faith. How do you know a tree is known by its fruit? I can look on a tree and see apples and know I'm dealing with an apple tree. How am I going to look at you and see you're saved? i got to see what fruit you're producing. If all you're doing is taking care of yourself, baby girl, you ain't saved. Oh, no, Rabbi, you don't understand. When I was eight, I gave my life to the Lord. And now what's up? Now who's your life given to? Tell me. Still to the Lord. Look, I do stuff for myself. I, I walk. I exercise. I, I, tonight we're going to have dinner with my family. But I'm going to tell you something. When I walk and when I exercise and when I have dinner with my family, the undercurrent is God. When I have dinner with my family, I'm thanking God. When I'm walking, I'm saying, I can't believe I'm able to walk. I can't believe you gave me these legs. Not, it's hot. I'm sweating. God, I want to go back inside. No, man. No. Only true believers have access to the tree of life and to the eternal city. Now we're almost home. We'll be home soon, I promise. Revelation 1-3, go back to it for a minute. It says, Blessed are the reader, this is the first blessing, and hearers of the words of this prophecy, provided they obey the things written in it, for the time is near. The time is near means the time for the fulfillment of the prophecies was near. That's what he said 2,000 years ago. Now, you might say, like other naysayers say, well, that was 2,000 years ago, the time is near. I just told you, a day is like a 1,000 years. A 1,000 years is like a day. That's two days in God's economy. When he spoke that, that's two days on an eternal scale. You've got to get this down. You, 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 you're trying to think about things that are infinite with a finite mind. It, it won't work. You've got to think like an infinite being. You've got to think like a biblical being. This refers to the day of the Lord. Okay, people, I've heard people preach about the day of the Lord, and I'm like, what? It's simple, dude. It's, it's, one, it's, the, it's the great and terrible day of the Lord. I asked my daughter yesterday, how could something be great and terrible? You wouldn't go to a party and go, oh, man, I went to this party. It was great and terrible. I went out with my friends the other day. Man, it was so wonderful and awful. Hey, that chicken you made, it was, it was incredible and terrible. Only the coming of the Lord can be great and terrible. Only the coming of the Lord. Nothing else will define itself as great and terrible. And I asked my daughter, my youngest, what, well, how could it be great and terrible? She nailed it. She goes, Dad, when Yeshua comes back, it's going to be great for believers and terrible for unbelievers. Way to go, kid. Because God will come and intervene to punish the disobedient. Take this down. Isaiah 13, 6 through 16. Joel 1, 13 through 15. And Obadiah 15 to 20. What chapter? That means you don't know your Bible. Obadiah only has one chapter. 
Those are scriptures that talk about God's intervention to punish the disobedient. All the stuff in Revelation is in there. And, and, that's terrible. What about the great part? And to save the faithful. Isaiah 27, 2 through 13. Jeremiah 38 through 9. Joel 2, 31 through 32. It's going to be great for us. It's going to be so great. I know you guys have a lot of good days. Look, we're living in a time in America where America isn't just the most prosperous nation in the world. This is the most prosperous she's ever been. We're living in a time where our seats in our cars have air conditioning. Yes, air conditioning. So you get no butt sweat. That's how comfortable we are. Our beds, our beds are made of the finest materials, organic cottons, plush, plush, memory foam, and, 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 and they're, and they're computer driven. So now if you move, it adjusts. Shoes, the most comfortable shoes in the universe. The most incredible clothing, thinsulate clothing that can keep you warm in the, in the coldest conditions. Food. Look at the food channel. We sit and we watch and we're watching. And then we just, we just eat and watch and eat and watch. Look, this hasn't hurt anybody. This coronavirus. What do people do? They go out to eat and they watch movies. So what are they doing at home? They're eating and watching movies. Nothing's changed. We're blessed. So it's hard to see this as a blessing. You're like, Rabbi, I'm so blessed. Yes, you are. My kids are blessed. My family is blessed. But man, I wouldn't compare this. I wouldn't compare the blessing that the world has to the blessing that God has for me. No shot. No way. The Bible describes the day of the Lord like a thief in the night. This is a term that's used throughout the New Testament. The thief simile suggests unexpectedness and unwelcomeness. You can read that in Matthew 24, 43 to 44. Luke 12, 39 to 40. Second Peter 3.10. Revelation 3.3 and Revelation 16.15. The negative aspect is clearly seen for the unbeliever with the prospect of final judgment. But for the believer, it's an encouragement. It's an encouragement of hope and deliverance. It will completely be unexpected taking men off God. The world will be wholly unprepared. Not us. We're waiting. We're watching. We're looking at the eastern sky. Matthew 24, 42 to 44. Look at it. Yeshua says at the end of talking about this tribulation, they asked him, when are you going to come? When are you going to set up your kingdom? He tells them, and then he says, look, stay alert. The word in the Greek is Gregorio, where we get my name from. Gregory, it means to be vigilant, to be watchful. To, and, and the word doesn't mean to look once. Okay, no, he's not coming. We're good. Stay alert. It's present progressive. Keep watching. Keep watching. Keep watching. Keep watching. People say they're depressed. They're escapists. Baloney. You're lost. I'm looking for the Lord to return. Stay alert. You know why? Because you don't know what day our Lord will come. You don't know. You might know the season, but you don't know the day. But you do know this. Yeshua says, you know this. This is what you know. Let me tell you what you do know. I don't want to tell you what you don't know. I don't want to be negative. I want to be positive. Let me tell you what you do know. Had the owner of his house known when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not allowed his house to be broken into. If you know a thief is coming and you're sitting there behind the door with a 12-gauge, sitting in a chair and just drinking a little iced tea and sitting there, and then you know exactly it is 10.13. The thief's coming, and that door opens. You're going to be fine. Jeremiah knew. He knew the book. He knew. He said 70 years. When they were in Babylon, they looked at their watch. They go, I'll be a son of a God. It's 70 years. We're going to, let's, let's pack our bags. And they left. And they left. If you knew, if you knew when the thief was coming, and they're talking about Yeshua, the thief in the night. He would have stayed awake and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, he's using an example. Therefore, because of that, 
You too must always be ready. Be ready. Be on guard. You know, guys, you ever see a secret service? You ever see them unready? When I was just in Israel, I was eating in this fancy schmancy VIP thing in the hotel on the top floor. And in walked the guy that's running for the for the prime minister of the country. And I'm going to tell you something, man. He had these guys around him, Mossad guys. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable how ready they were. I knew how ready they were. They were here. They had their gun here, and they had their hand here. Go right out. That's how I was taught. You stand at the door like this. You never have your hands in your pocket. You're sitting duck. You don't have your hands behind you. Sitting duck. You're not scratching your head or scratching your butt. Sitting duck. You're here. So that you can go right away. Right away. Right on God. Right on God. Hands here. Hands here. Right like this. They were all like this. They all had their hands right close to their gun. When this guy got up to get something to eat, they got up. Went around them. It was only me and the server in the place. Nevertheless, they were ready. For the Son of Man will come when you are not expecting him. Look at this word ready. It means to be prepared in the sense to receive one coming. When I told Byrne, hey, I'm going to pick up Jeremy and his girlfriend. They're coming home. Well, she went out to Kroger. Well, she goes out to Kroger all the time. And she, she goes out every day because she buys fresh food to cook for that day, which I thoroughly appreciated. But she bought more because she was getting ready for them coming. She set up certain linens and set up a bedroom and this and that and the other and set up the house because they were coming. How much more should we prepare to receive Messiah? How much more? Therein lies the message, guys, and the warnings and what follows. Right after Yeshua says this, Matthew 25, which there wasn't a break in the chapters, then he said, he told the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. He told the parable of the wise and foolish servants, and he told the parable of the wise and foolish nations. There's no third choice. You can either be a fool or be wise. You could be the virgin that trims the wick and has oil in the lamp, or you could be the foolish virgin that when he comes goes, oh my God, he's here, I got no oil, can I get some? No, you can't have my oil. Not because I don't want to give it to you, because God has no grandchildren. Uh-uh. Sadly enough, my, the oil in my lamp, I can't give you. It's my oil. you got to get your own. Let's conclude with chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, and we're done. This introduces us to the beginning of the tribulation, chapter 4. The first scene is in heaven where John is given a vision of the glory and the greatness and the grandeur of God. The Lord has done this before. He gave visions to his prophets before permitting them to tell future events. Look at Isaiah 6 and look at Ezekiel 1, both with Isaiah and Ezekiel. They needed to say something. They knew God was great, but they needed to see it. Sometimes we need to see the greatness of God. Why do you think I'm up here week after week pouring my heart out trying to show how great God is so that you'll worship him? That's my job. In chapter 1 in the book of Revelation, John saw Messiah's glory before he was permitted to record the future history of the body of Messiah. Now John sees another vision. He's given a vision of God's throne. God's throne in heaven. Before he learns the judgments which will be poured out. Before he has to speak these judgments, he has to see how grand and glorious God is. So here we go. 11 verses. Chapter 4, Revelation. After these things, I looked. This is John. And there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice like a trumpet, which I had heard speaking with me before said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after these things. I'm going to teach you, John, so you could tell, you can write it down and that we'll have access to it. Instantly, instantly, I was in the spirit. He was taken in the spirit and there before me in heaven stood a throne. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what he must have been feeling? I just can't. And on the throne, Someone's sitting. You see that someone is capitalized. The one sitting there gleamed like diamonds and rubies, 
different diversions say different stones. And a rainbow, they all agree on this, shining like emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothing and wearing gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came forth lightning and voices and thundering. And before the throne were seven flaming torches, which is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Look at how detailed. In the center, around the throne, were four living beings, covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living being, or living creature, as some versions say, was like a lion. The second living being was like an ox or a bullock. The third living being had a face that looked human, like a man. And the fourth living being was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living beings had six wings and was covered with eyes inside and out, and day and night, and night and day. Right now, this is going on. Right now, it never stops. The four living creatures say over and over again, Holy, holy, holy is Adonai, God of heaven's armies, the one who was, who is, and who is coming. And whenever the living beings give glory, which is constantly an honor and thanks to the one, to God sitting on the throne, to the one who lives forever and ever, the eternal God, then the 24 elders, so you've got the throne, you've got the four living beings, and then you've got the elders, they fall down before the one sitting on the throne who lives forever and ever, and they worship him. It's like constant worship from these four living creatures, from the 24 elders. And then we find out in Revelation 5, we won't get there today, that there are myriads, millions and millions of angels worshiping. They throw their crowns in front of him. They throw them down. And they say, you are worthy, Adonai Elheno, the Lord our God, to have glory and honor and power because you created all things. You're the you're God. This is the way we should worship him. This is the way we should worship him because he's God. Because of your will, they were created and came into being. You did all this. You birthed us. You made the heavens and the earth. You brought redemption to us. You're coming back for us. You're going to bring us to a restored heaven and earth. Unbelievable. And we'll live with you eternally in bliss, euphoria, paradise, heaven, perfection. So we see the eternal God sitting on his throne in majesty. Majesty. Majestic and splendor. Majestic. The rainbow is there for a reason. It's a pledge. Remember the rainbow? In Noah's day, with the rainbow, God is saying that I will keep my covenant. In spite of my judgments, I'll keep my covenant. I'll protect you, kid. We cannot say with certainty who the 24 elders are. Isn't that something? Why? Because it doesn't matter. Is it the 24 priests in the book of Chronicles? Is it is it the 12 disciples and the 12? Let me ask something. If we were to find out, will that make you more obedient to God? Of course, the answer is no. It doesn't matter. They're 24 elders. This is what we do know. Because they're crowned and enthroned, we could say that they're saints who have been judged and rewarded. That's what we know. They're saints who are judged and rewarded and are given a place of, of, of importance, of prominence to sit around the throne of God. Come on. It's crazy. So they must be very, very special people. Incredibly special. Could they be the 12 disciples and the 12 heads of the tribes of Israel? It's possible. They're special. Then we hear that the throne has as lightning and voices and thundering, which is displaying God's terrifying splendor, also his judgments. The sea of glass, picture it, it's the floor of heaven and the ceiling of the created universe. And it's transparent, but it's tranquil. And what it shows is 
Heaven's peace in contrast to earth's turmoil. The weather's always perfect up in heaven. God never frets. The four living created beings and their description parallel the way Yeshua is presented in the Gospels. We see one like a lion. That's Matthew, the king. Matthew's written to the Jews. And what does he talk about? Where is this king of Israel? Where is this king of the Jews? Royalty, purple, the ox speaks of the Romans. They wanted somebody strong, a suffering servant. That's Mark. The human in Luke, human to, the, Luke talks about the compassion of Yeshua, the beauty of Yeshua, the fact that he was a perfect man, though he was tempted like we were, but he sinned not. And of course, the eagle speaks to John. The universal gospel is the son of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word took on flesh. He didn't subtract, he added, and tabernacled among us. And they sing ceaselessly, ceaselessly over and over again about the holiness and the eternity of God. And whenever the living creatures worship the eternal one on the throne, the 24 elders prostrate themselves and worship the eternal God, casting their crowns before his throne, offering worship and submission to God's authority. Here is a beautiful picture of God as the almighty ruler of the universe about to send judgment on the earth. It's not like he didn't warn us, guys. You can't shake your fist at God and say you didn't warn me. I'm warning you right now in his name. If you do not have a relationship with God through you, the Yeshua, the Messiah, I am begging you. I am begging you to think about it. The invitation has been granted to you. You need to RSVP quickly and expediently. Do not hesitate. If you've done that today, if you're watching with a family, maybe you've done that, do not think that it's poppycock. I'm telling you it's legit. You repent and cry before the Lord and it's legit. I want you to call my office. I want to get you a Bible. I want to get you a book. I want to get you some some uh, resources, all free. And then I'm putting together a discipleship series that I want to get you also free of charge that will help you stay on the straight and narrow. Last but not least, for all children of God, the book of Revelation teaches the foolishness, nay, the lunacy, the lunacy of living for things that will shortly pass away. Lunacy. It spurs us. It spurs me to write to the perishing and encourages us to wait with patience and expectancy for the Lord's return. For the unbeliever, the book is a solemn warning of the terrible doom that awaits all who reject the Savior. For the believer, it is our blessed hope that out of the ashes of the tribulation comes the millennial reign of Messiah. I pray that we be found faithful and on the tiptoes of expectancy in these last days. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in the name of the Prince of all peace, Yeshua. Yevarecha Adonai, veishmarecha, yor Adonai ponavilecha, vehunecha, yisadonai ponavilecha, veasemlecha, shalom.